Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to On Offense, Budget Plans to Save American Paychecks. Please welcome the President of the Heritage Foundation, Dr. Kevin Roberts. Thank you and welcome to all of you to the Heritage Foundation on Flag Day. Those of you here in, in person, very warm welcome and grateful that, that you would be here. You might have noticed that as you go out to grocery stores, gas stations, restaurants, actually as you go anywhere where you might spend a dollar, that your dollar and my dollar and every American's dollar happens to be buying less. And that's because of typical failed policies of the worst presidential administration in history. I say that not to engage in hyperbole. We don't do that at Heritage. It's just a fact. And it is remarkable in a terrible way that because of hyper-centralization of government power, especially by the left, but sometimes by people we agree with otherwise, that inflation is caused not by someone overseas, but by people in this city. Today's event is designed to highlight a couple of great warriors, wonderful patriots on the matter of common sense and putting government back in its box. And I think you are in for a real treat, even though we know we wished that reality were not the case, that this is the worst inflationary environment since the late 1970s. In fact, there are some very smart economists who predicted that the United States would never again make such terrible decisions in terms of running deficits deficits and deficits that we would see that again, but here we are. The fix to that is to put government back in its box, to right-size our federal budget, to live within our constraints as a people the same way that we have to do that in our own households. Joining us to make this possible, this conversation possible, are, as I mentioned, two members of the U.S. House who really are patriots. They're cheerful but also very sober-minded when it comes to understanding the difficult political and policy decisions that need to be made regarding the federal budget. Our heritage friend, Congressman Jim Banks, is the chairman of the Republican Study Committee. He has led this push we've seen and are highlighting today to promote conservative values and continuously fighting for those values. He serves as a member of the House Committee on Armed Services, the Committee on Veterans Affairs, in the Committee on Education and Labor, as you know, but is worth noting he's a stalwart defender of self-governance, which ultimately is what we are focused on here at Heritage, opposing the nonsense of big tech, the Chinese Communist Party, and ESG advocates who, of course, are wreaking havoc on American investments and common sense. Joining him is our additional Heritage friend and patriot, Congressman Kevin Hearn. He's the chairman of the RSC Budget and Spending Task Force, so he's been a busy man on this topic. He's had a huge part in writing the plan that we will feature today and is a real fighter for the conservative approach to government. If you haven't picked this up by following Congressman Hearn, he's a busy man like Congressman Banks, serving on a lot of caucuses and committees, and I am grateful to him and to Jim Banks for joining us. We were hoping 
that Senator Braun of Indiana would be able to join us as well. He sends his regrets. There is a very important committee markup in the other chamber today where we know there's news on some other topics, and so he would be here, but does send his regrets for not joining us. I'm happy to introduce these two members of the House, as well as my friend and colleague, Matt Dickerson, who knows a thing or two about common sense budgeting. So please welcome them to the stage. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, thank you to all of you to being here, and especially thank you to our, our great guests for all the work that, uh, great work that they've done on the Republican Study Committee's budget, Chairman Jim Banks uh, and Chairman of the Budget and Spending Task Force at the RSC, Congressman Kevin Hearn. Uh, Let's dive, dive right into it, and I'll, I'll start with you, Chairman Banks. Uh, the RSC is, is the conservative caucus in the House. It's the largest caucus in all of Congress. And under your leadership over the last year and a half, uh, the RSC has really been thought leaders on all of really important policy priorities of the American people. Uh, so what, what made this issue stand out? Why, why produce a budget? Uh, why is it so important for you to set up a, a budget and spending task force? Well, thank you very much. Good morning. It's great to be with all of you. They say that fiscal conservatism doesn't matter. Nobody cares about it, right? I mean, you hear it all the time, right? Nobody, nobody cares about it. All of you care about it, right? I, I see a lot of um, young leaders in the room. This issue matters to nobody more than it matters to you because it matters to the future of this country that all of you are going to lead in the years ahead. So this is what Republican Study Committee is known for. We are 49 years old. Coincidentally, so is the Heritage Foundation. Um, the Heritage Foundation and the Republican Study Committee were founded at the same time, and they were founded for this purpose. Um, and the, the, the conservative budget that RSC puts out every single year is to plant the flag so that uh, members of Congress on Capitol Hill know that, uh, that it can be done. You can balance the budget. It, it takes bold leadership, but it, if we get serious and we, we provide the leadership that the American people expect Republicans to provide this country, uh, what Kevin Hearn and the Budget and Spending Task Force and Republican Study Committee has now done for 49 years is put out a budget that is a conservative alternative to uh, what others on Capitol Hill put out. Unfortunately, though, it's been a number of years since anyone else has put out a budget. RSC is the only one in the game. I mean, you, you uh, Matt, you used to lead this effort for RSC when you worked for RSC. Back in the day, you would have the Budget Committee put out a budget, the the progressives would put out a budget, and then the RSC would put out the conservative budget. Right now, we're the only ones that put out a budget. Uh, it's a sad reality. I mean, uh, Speaker Pelosi infamous, infamously said, show me your budget and I'll show you your priorities. They don't have a budget. They've never had a budget since she's had the, the gavel for the last three years. But RSC does this every single year. We put it out, and uh, some people say it's aspirational. It's not aspirational, it's reality. And uh, hopefully our, our colleagues are paying attention because they because if, if we are serious about doing something about it, RSC is leading the way to show how it can be done. That's a great point. And, and Congressman Hearn, uh, I've personally worked on uh, putting on, on teams that have put together a half dozen federal budget proposals, uh, like like you said, Mr. Banks. Um, but but why did why would you raise your hand? Why did you volunteer uh, to to do this? Because I know I know it's not easy work. Why why take on this task? Why is this issue so important to you? Well, I spent 35 years in business prior to coming to Congress three and a half years ago. And as, as, first of all, thanks to, thank you, Chairman Banks, for allowing me to do this. And I mean that, allowing 
uh, it's a no-joke situation for me. I don't think you can ever have a fiscally responsible government, business, or household, or state if you don't have a budget. That's where it all starts. And I've been in Congress now since January of 2019. I've never seen a budget come out of the Budget Committee. I served on the House Budget Committee for two years. It's too political to get a budget out. And meanwhile, you as American people uh, are, are people that are not in the Beltway, that don't understand this place, can't understand why we can't do our fundamental responsibility of creating a budget. It's only been done in the Republican Study Committee. And Chairman Banks led that for two years under Chairman Johnson. Uh, it's been an honor to do this now for the second year under the RSC. And when you look at what it does, it really reminds us of who the money belongs to. The money is the American people. The federal government has no money. And I got uh, hooked on politics, if you will, many years ago when I moved to Oklahoma for the first time and lived next door to Senator, actually House member Tom Coburn at that time, who is no, uh, there's no more of a famous uh, fiscal hawk. He's no longer with us, but both in the House and the Senate to say that we should be better stewards of the American taxpayer dollar. So it was ingrained upon me long before I got interested in politics uh, that when you come here, you do the right thing and protect the American taxpayer. And that's what's been a real joy to do. And, and Chairman Banks, uh, looking at the RSC budget, uh, there's really so much, it covers kind of the, the breadth of everything uh, that the government does. And it covers, has important policy priorities for everything that the American people care about. This is the most pro-life budget ever been produced. Uh, you're, you've got funds to secure the border. Uh, you're getting our fiscal house in order. You're investing in our national security. You're tough on China. Uh, and, and really, I think while we all appreciate all the numbers, the charts and graphs that is inherent in, in kind of the budgeting and, and fiscal policy, uh, I actually agree with, with Speaker Pelosi, right? If, if you show us your budget, uh, it shows your values. And I really do think budgeting is really a moral exercise. And I think that really does shine through in, in what you and, and uh, Congressman Hearn and, and the Budget and Spending Task Force has done. So I was hoping if you could speak into that a little bit and, and answer this question specifically. Uh, do you see the RSC budget as a governing agenda in the next Congress? Uh, I mean, to answer that question first, yes. Um, when we get the majority back uh, after this historic midterm election, uh, we, ha we have to lead uh, as fiscal conservatives or our voters will laugh at us and never, I don't think they'll ever vote for us again. I, I always say that when people say, well, uh, Republicans are part of the problem. They, they, uh, they grew the, when they say uh, Republicans are responsible for the $30 trillion national debt just like Democrats are, they're partly right. I mean, it is a there is bipartisan blame, but don't compare us to the Democrats. I mean, the Democrats in the last couple of years have spent more money than any government in the history of the world by far. And here we are surpassing $30 trillion in a national debt. So uh, Republicans have to, we have to put forward a fiscally conservative agenda when we get the majority back or we won't be taken seriously anymore. When we get to this point where $30 trillion national debt, where we're spending more on interest on the debt than we spend on the entire uh, Department of Defense and our national security, I mean, that's, that, that's when you realize that just how, uh, how desperate of a situation we find ourselves in. So. Um, what Kevin has done that I, I, I chaired this effort, as Kevin said, in the last term, he's chairing it this term. What they've done uh, this term is even better than what we did last term. And this is after COVID, all of the COVID relief money. I mean, I think the, the big point of it is that 
there is wasteful spending that we can find to cut. And we can fix Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, save it for future generations without touching it for those who depend on it today. We can rebuild our military and make it strong and mighty as a deterrent to our adversaries. We can put forth a pro-life budget. We can build the wall and secure our border and put American workers first. We can do all of it, and the RSC budget proves it. I mean, it, it, it proves that it can be done uh, if Republicans have backbone and are bold and we do what we say we're going to do when we get the majority back. So that, that will be the role that Republican Study Committee next term will play, will be to hold our Republican leaders accountable to do what we say we're going to do, and the place to start is the RSC budget. Uh, and, and Congressman Hunter, I was hoping you could, you could take some time, dive in, uh, give people an <laughs> overview of the policies that are included in the RSC budget, uh, and also, can you also spend some time talking about how the RSC budget would address the number one issue that's on the mind of voters, on the minds of the folks in this room, on the minds of, of people tuning in? Uh, how will it turn the tide of inflation and, and help put our economy back on the right track? Well, not only has Speaker Pelosi said, show us your budget and I'll show you your values, but that's what Joe Biden said just in March before he released his budget. And if you look at his budget, his budget never balances. Unheard of. A president puts out an aspirational budget that never balances. Your families, your states, your businesses have to balance the budget. They have to spend less than they earn uh, in order to be responsible. This should ensure they're not going into bankruptcy. I, I would tell you that this is not a conservative budget. This is an American budget. Because all of America has to balance their budgets. Have to. Or they can't stay viable, a viable firm. And most would argue that we've been bankrupt for a long time, if not for the fact that we're the largest economy in the world. Uh, China would love to take that spot and, and will do so if we continue down this irresponsible spending path. But when you look at the first thing you have to do is you have to reduce your deficits to zero and obviously have a budget surplus annually to pay down your debts. It's false. I mean, the rest of it's kind of gimmick with monetary policy that, that changes your debt structure. But the reality is, is what American people know, in order to start paying down debt or to have excess revenue to pay debt, you, you have to spend less than you take in. Otherwise, you're going to continue to borrow and add to the debt. Uh, just this past week in Ways and Means, I said on the Ways and Means uh, Committee, and I asked Yellen and, and some of my other colleagues did too, do you care about deficits and debts? And she specifically responded to the question and said, I do think we should lower our deficits. <laughs> Basically implying that she doesn't care what the debt is. And that's, uh, that's problematic because if you don't care about the debts and they keep that rhetoric out there, we'll keep spending ourselves till you have no future. The president's budget alone adds, he has to get $7 trillion in additional taxes from you all and all of us in America in order to just have a 15 trillion, just to add 15 trillion. Assuming he doesn't get those, he's gonna add another $22 trillion of debt on the balance sheet and taking our debt over 50 trillion in just the next decade by his own budget. That's unheard of. I mean, you don't even balance and he's perfectly okay. So when we look at, you know, you know, uh, the Congressman, uh, Congressman Chairman Banks mentioned about aspirational. I steer from that because it, it's not aspirational. It's factual. When you look at what we do in the budget, we actually take 203 member initiatives. Last year was about 140. So these are bills that have already been written, that are ready to go through committee of jurisdiction to hit the floor to be voted on. And then we backcast that. Uh, we have you know, Mark and you know, your Richard Stern and others that have worked on this, Matt, and backcast that into actual numbers. 
which some would argue that that's a little different way of doing budgets. Actually, I would, on, uh, would argue with you that that's the way budgets are done, is that you, add, you know, everybody thinks about numbers, but you also have the qualitative conversation of how do we generate those? We just never see that. Our budget starts with a qualitative conversation about policy, what policies do we think Americans should be following uh, that are under the purview of the federal government, with the rest of that being remanded back to the states and the people in the states. That's the way our founding fathers, that's the heritage of our, our country, is that we, the people, can spend our money better than the people in the federal government can. Now, that's, that's counterintuitive. Uh, I would argue that that's way counterintuitive to any Democrat up here. And there are some Republican friends that we have out there that argue that you know, we could do a better job up here. It's very few. And then it goes to what Chairman Banks says. We have an equal responsibility as members of Congress to do our first job, which is to balance our budget. And uh, Chairman Banks listed several of those out, but you know, we have to get after these, these ideas of spending less and then paying for what we spend as we go forward. And you're able to balance the budget without Biden's tax increases. In fact, you have a number of pro-growth tax policies. Yeah, so when you look at uh, making tax cuts and jobs acts permanent, many of those are rolling off. Some have already rolled off, like the R&D tax credit, which is going to hurt us. Uh, you know, right now, for every dollar spent by our corporations to and our, our businesses to invest in America and new, re new development, new research to promote us to being the leader and sort of the tip of the spear, we were getting a dollar for dollar on that prior to December 31st, and it expired January 1, and there's been no... Uh, sense of any idea of, of changing that. So now for every dollar spent, because of the amortization rules, a corporation is getting about a 20% or 20 cent deduction for that dollar. Compare that to China that gets a dollar 75. So if you're a corporation and you're, you have you know, the fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders, to the people of America that invest in you, you're going to go where there's least restrictions on that. So there are many countries around the world that would give you a better bite at the apple for spending a dollar of research. We've got to remember that the only reason that we are the most powerful nation in the world is because we look at our American businesses, our American jobs, and our American people. That's something that is, is really hard. They say this in the administration, the Democrats, but it's very hard for them to have policies that actually follow that. I argue that their, their video doesn't match their audio. They say one thing that sounds really good, but all their policies are contradictory to that. And we could go through a whole litany of those through international tax and others. But when you, when you look at that, you know, we, we secure the southern border. We protect our military, our men and women in uniform that protects us from bad people around the world. And we do that with fervor because we know without those protections, none of us will have the ability to enjoy being in the greatest nation that's ever existed. Chairman Banks, I was hoping you could you could build on that and talk about how uh, the RSC approaches the issue of being tough on China and our national security. Uh, you have you serve in the Naval Reserves. You've deployed to Afghanistan. You're on the Armed Services Committee. Why is it so important for us to invest in our national security, our men and women in uniform, give them the tools that they need to keep us safe, and also how do we balance that with the need to get our fiscal and house in order and also ensure that we have a, a dynamic pro-worker economy here at home. Yeah, well, it's important to know that China wants nothing more than for America to collapse from within. And they're going to do everything that they can to contribute to it, right? I mean, the, the negligence related to COVID spreading around the world, what, what China has done to steal our jobs and wreck uh, the middle class in America, 
um, and then and the af the aftermath and turmoil that America has gone through uh, after the after the pandemic, before, during, and after the pandemic. I mean, China's doing everything they can to contribute to as part of their 100-year marathon to dominate the United States, the rest of the world, become the hegemonic power in the world. So, and they're well on their way to it. And we've had leaders in this country, both Republicans and and Democrats, who have completely ignored the China threat. Uh, at Republican Study Committee, we believe that this is the that China is the, the, the greatest threat that America faces economically, militarily, and our budget reflects it. So, and I think if, if we learn anything during the Trump era, it's that America first policies and trade and immigration and foreign policy, um, economically, uh, militarily, um, all of that is the recipe to make America strong again and uh, to defeat the threat that China poses to America. So our RSC's budget, uh, by investing in our military, keeping up with inflation, um, and, and rebuilding the military, making the military more modern, sophisticated, investing in emerging technologies, building the military uh, of the future, the, uh, focusing on the future of defense, that's what the RSC budget does. That makes it unique compared to other budgets. That, that's, how, that's, how we, uh, that's how we defeat China. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud that our, uh, when we started the term off, you know, RSC has always been the, the conservative caucus focused on, as the traditional conservative issues, the three-legged stool of Reagan conservatism, uh, fiscally conservative, putting out these, these uh, budget proposals, strong national defense, Reagan-era peace through strength, and then the pro-family, pro-life uh, conservative uh, 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 caucus. But, President Trump taught us that we, when we merge that with the, some of the more uh, populist, per se, issues of the Trump era, that that's how we build our coalition um, around the country to, to win majorities and to win back the White House. And I think, I think the key part of that, the key pivot for the Republican Party is a focus on China. I mean, I think, I think work, working class Americans, blue collar Americans who aren't always with us at the ballot box, they vote Republican when they see that Republicans are focused on what matters most to them, which is ensuring that they have a good, good paying job in the United States of America. And uh, the, the RSC budget more than ever before under, under uh, Kevin Hearn's leadership of this effort um, is focused on those policies that will help us uh, overcome the, the China threat, surpass China, and ensure that the next century is, an American, uh, is the American century. Um, Congressman, I'll, I'll shift gears a little bit. And I think it's important that we talk about the two largest programs in the entire federal budget, and that's Social Security <coughs> and Medicare. Uh, Congress and the next president are going to have to address these two programs, right? The actuaries tell us that the Medicare Hospital Insurance Trust Fund is going to be depleted by 2028. The Social Security Trust Fund uh, will be depleted by 2034. So you and your colleagues on the Ways and Means Committee have jurisdiction over, over this committee and uh, you're going to have to have votes uh, along with the, the next president and, and your colleagues in the House. Uh, so how would the RSC help save and improve both Social Security and Medicare? And importantly, how do you get your colleagues uh, lead, show, set in an example for how they can talk about this and be successful? Yeah, when you look at, uh, when you look at Medicare, um, you know, privatization, we all believe in you know, capital markets, we think that uh, competition is what drives out costs, and Medicare Advantage does a great job of 
of recognizing that. Uh, the Democrats understand that it's 180 degrees from where we want to go from Medicare for all. Uh, we want uh, to make sure Medicare is solvent as we go forward. Uh, you all, as you're paying your payroll taxes along the way, you're, you're lending the, the federal government money so that as you retire, you, you receive the guarantee that you, you got when you gave them the money in your payroll taxes, same thing with Social Security. And so we, we got to make sure that we continue to see and protect Medicare Advantage grow. Um, there are a lot of, of cities where many Democrats are re representing those cities where Medicare uh, eligible patients, uh, citizens, are continuing to see multi you know, massive increases in taking of Medicare Advantage. They like the competitiveness. They like the extra benefits they get when our other providers, the uh, fee-for-service providers, do a great job. Unlike Medicare A and B, that are government-driven, uh, are completely, uh, you know, woefully underfunded. We have to continue continue to take money out of the general fund for the certainly Medicare B, and it's it's a real problem. It's going to consume our entire budget. The second thing is is when you look at Social Security, uh, the problem is that Social Security is last time I had any kind of real reform was in 1983. And it's always outside of our budget window. So when we look at the 10-year traditional budget window to try to make any kind of structural changes, it never really scores. But the reality is, is that when it was put in place in 1935, we were much younger. I think the life expectancy was 48 or 49 years old. It was really about you know, the last two, three years of your life uh, to, to protect you, to have, give you a little bit of money when you couldn't work anymore. And now, you know, we're talking about, you know, getting it, you know, 65, 67, you know, 70, you know, as we're jack you know, jostling these dates around these ages. And you're living to be 95 or 100. I think it's like one in four people now are going to live to be 100. We just do not have the capacity to fund that long. So we've got to look at how we move uh, those ages, those retirement ages, and not impact the people who have counted on that. So in the budget, we look at starting that at age 44. There's probably nobody in America, or if there are, it's a handful, that think at 44 they're worrying about how they're going to retire. Uh, and they're certainly not counting on Social Security. But if we start moving that, and you think about it, even a 75-year window, that's 30 years from now. That's three times the length of our budget window. So we have to look at the net present value of those impacts, the actuarials on those impacts, out a longer distance so we can see if we're impacting the curve, bending the curve or solvency of Social Security. One of the greatest... Uh, threats to our, our, our program is disability insurance. When you look at the growth of the population in the United States has grown about right at 90% since 1960. We've had about a tenfold increase of that of people on disability insurance. It's become too lenient. It's become, you know, people can figure out different ways. It's, it's a legitimate program. Uh, it needs to be done. It needs to have complete overhaul. Look at that to make sure that we don't have people to become disabled at a very young age that stay on that the rest of their life because two things happen. One is we don't have the ability to compensate our, our model, our program wasn't set up for that. And second, it takes them out of the workforce. And so that, that's a problem. And, and those, those two things right there alone, Medicare and Social Security, are consuming our entire budget uh, just in a very short order. Everybody in Congress, well, I certainly say this, everybody, including the appropriators and everybody else, says you know, we're running out of uh, discretionary money because the, the, the guaranteed programs are consuming our entire budget. We're going to be down to somewhere around 15% in another decade of actual money that, of the entire budget that we're actually appropriating out of Congress. Um, I, I want to uh, 
take our, our conversation in an optimistic direction, right? Uh, as, as one of my friends, uh, really close friends, likes to say, politics is really like a golf swing. It's all about the follow through. Uh, so for, I wanted to ask both of you, uh, in the next Congress, how are conservatives going to go on offense and reverse the growth of spending uh, and, and deal with this, this problem? I'll start with you, Congressman Hurd. I mentioned that uh, Dr. Coburn's the one that got me in politics. I, I, you know, he was obviously pessimistic that anybody could ever um, curtail spending. And uh, he used to say that there are a lot of people in Congress that are conservative until it comes to spending. And if you think about that, that's, that's kind of comical because that's really what the deal is. Everybody, uh, as long as you, you cut somebody else's dollars, you don't cut mine, then we're good. But I believe that if we take a little bit from a lot of programs, then nobody has to suffer a lot. And that's really how you look at it in business. You can't take any one line item on a P&L and destroy it. But if you take a little bit from a lot of line items, you don't even miss it. And uh, the problem is we've got to get people willing to take a little bit from a lot of different programs. And we can balance this budget. It's not impossible. But I will tell you this, and I think you all would agree, I'd hope you'd agree, it's going to be much easier to do it today than it is tomorrow. And the American people want us to balance the budget. Don't believe the rhetoric of what you hear is that people don't want us to do that. They know they have to live that way. They're willing to take the sacrifice if we will make the hard decisions and stick with it. We saw that back in 97. Uh, I was with uh, you know, the former speaker from 97, Newt Gingrich this morning in another meeting. But we saw what happens when you have people working together for the common good. We had a Republican House, Republican Senate, and a Democrat in the White House. We actually had budget surpluses for four years, from 97 through 2000. And we paid down the debt. So it is possible. It's been recent, and in, in, as it goes for the, you know, the length of we've been in a, a, you know, a country. So we can do it. It's hard work. We've got to have the, the toughness to do it. We've got to all be willing to work together for this common good. We can fuss and fight over other things, but let's all work together to balance the budget. Chairman Banks, why are we going to be successful? Yeah, I'm really bad at golf. <laughs> Me too. Really bad. I saw that yesterday. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think Kevin's right. We things have, sometimes things have to get really bad uh, before you before people say, "Hey, we got to we got to do something about it." I don't I don't know that the the next Congress will have any choice than to do what hasn't been done in decades, and that's to pass a fiscally conservative balanced budget. You think about it. What, what, do, what do the American people care about most right now? It's not the fake January 6 hearings, right? Obviously, they canceled a hearing today because it's going so bad for them. Americans are tuning it out. They're furious that Congress isn't focused on what they're focused on, which is $5.25 for a gallon of gas and inflation that means that you're paying a lot more money every time you go to the grocery store and put food on the table. That's what the American people care about. Our RSC budget addresses both of those issues. There's nothing that we can do in Congress to address inflation more than balancing the budget and addressing a $30 trillion plus national debt. Um, as, the, as the Democrats have so severely devalued the dollar, the RSC budget would, would, um, would stabilize it and, uh, and, and by bringing fiscal conservatism back and pass, passing a balanced budget, that would immediately address inflation. Also, in our, in our RSC budget, we invest in American energy independence uh, by investing in uh, energy uh, and uh, production right here at home. So that's how we drive down the cost of, of, of gas and 
and uh, create more good paying uh, jobs in the energy sector in America, not abroad. So I'm optimistic because I don't, I don't think we have a choice. And, the, and when we get the majority back and it's on our shoulders and the responsibility is on our shoulders to lead, we, we, ha we don't have any choice but to do it. And the, the RSC is going to continue to be that shining light uh, on Capitol Hill that's going to push uh, our Republican conference, our Republican leaders to, to be bold, do, the, do everything that we said we were going to do during the campaigns, and you can start right here. If I, if I might add, Matt, well, you know, one thing you all hear a lot of, and this seemed to be just a derogatory phrase about American first policies, I would argue that this budget is full of America first policies, not America only policies. And that's what we have to remember. Uh, even the Democrats uh, don't want to get rid of tariffs on China because they understand that that is important to keep those there because it keeps China and the conversation fresh at the table. Even though there are a lot of Democrats that want to get rid of it so that they can soften inflationary pressures right now. But there is nothing wrong with us having policies that look at how we stay strong as a nation, become stronger as a nation, but not be the only nation. We st the global economy is important for the growth of what we do and who we do and the goods we produce, but we just can't give away everything for the sake of being nothing to anyone. And that's what our policies inside of this budget do. They really return the focus to uh, protecting our American companies, American jobs, and American people. It looks like we have a time for a question or two from the audience. So uh, if you do have a question, raise your hand. We've got folks running mics here. And uh, we've got one down here in the front. If you could uh, wait for the mic and say your name and, and where you're from. And Yeah, hi. Um, my name is Jack. I'm a high school student from up north in Boston. Uh, I had a question. How can fiscal conservatives kind of appeal to folks across the spectrum, uh, whether they're socially conservative or whether they come from other persuasions? Yeah, I think it's a great question because everybody thinks that you can't be both. I believe you can uh, because at the end of the day, you have to follow the money. If you are a broke nation, then your policies are pretty much not going to be uh, that important to anyone. And again, right now, if you, you look at what's going on, uh, the Chinese are abusing you know, a million Uyghurs over there, and we're still allowing them to, to conquer the world for the sake of the fact that our policies are, are so poor in how we deal with China. It's because we have to. We've lost the, the competitive advantage to China in many areas, so we're having to succumb to allowing uh, these social, um, you know, really social bad behaviors of China to exist. We wouldn't have done that you know, 20 years ago when they weren't in the WTO because we didn't need them as badly as we need them today. And we've really seen this be exacerbated under the whole uh, narrative of COVID when we see six containers coming from the Asian you know, continent to the United States when only one of ours is going out. And so we now have see the problem, and it's really a dereliction of duty and responsibility of Democrats to ignore what's going on and for us to regain our, our fiscal strength so that we don't have to allow these kind of bad behaviors around the world. Question over here in the middle. Hi, my name is Holden. I'm an intern at Heritage. Um, what type of physical policies would you implement against China to help with the rising threat of their growing economy? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest issues we have right now, as I mentioned, R&D. I mean, you have to look at if you're a, a business and you have this responsibility to the bottom line because you can't go bankrupt because that basically would be emulating what's going on in the federal government. 
and I think the reverse should be true. We should look at how fiscally responsible companies are. I mean, they have to make a bottom line to stay you know, solvent. But I mean, I could get into, I spent a lot of time working on, on the international tax situation. Um, I, I could go into real in depth, but we're disincentivizing just, just two weeks ago, or I guess about a month ago, we've been a lot, there've been a lot of conversation around the foreign tax credit deductibility for over a hundred years leading up until last year. Um, major corporations that do business around the world that want to stay headquartered here to provide great paying jobs have been allowed to take tax credits where they pay taxes in other countries against their earnings here. So in other words, not being double taxed. Uh, the Biden administration eliminated that last year. And so now our businesses that are, as an example, do uh, business in emerging markets like Brazil, big, big uh, economy, they are now being double taxed. And the Biden administration wants these CEOs to go be the bad guys and, and basically threaten, blackmail the leaders of Brazil to say, we can't do your business here anymore because we're being double taxed. You know, that might have worked 20 years ago, but now China is more than happy to take 100% of that business. And if you keep doing that country by country, we're just going to be shrunk to the fact that our business leaders are going to have to make a decision. Do I take American jobs somewhere else around the world where I'm not as regulated and as taxed? And all that's going to continue to do is remove our great paying jobs from here. And they'll still do a business here. The job just won't be here. Well, yeah, I, think, I would oh, add um, one, one more thing to that. One, we, we have to cut the head off the snake. And one of the, one of the biggest sources of capital for, Ameri for China's defense industrial base is federal and state pensions from the United States of America. So we have, we have federal retirees who spent their entire life maybe serving in the military whose pensions are invested in China's military shipbuilding or in emerging technologies or companies like Hikvision, which is the surveillance technology that the Chinese use to surveil and round up Uyghur Muslims and put them in detention camps. It should be uh, illegal for, we should, we should block those pension investments um, from going to build up our adversaries' uh, capabilities and their, their military. If we did that, we'd go a long way to uh, uh, tightening the grip on, uh, on China's military and give us more time to catch up and build the sophisticated, sophisticated technologies that China, where, where China is surpassing us. So that's one area that we need to focus on that RSC has taken a, a deep look at how we can do that. Well, I think this has been a great conversation. Thank you all for being here. Uh, thank you to Congressman Jim Banks. Thank you, Congressman Kevin Hearn. And thank you, most importantly, for the great work you're doing, the great leadership you're doing in the House of Representatives. And, and let's give them a round of applause. Thanks, Matt.